Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. Okay, let's transition. Um, today is the last uh, week in an in a eight-week series we've been in, and I want to start with a, with a kind of a thought or an idea, and I bet you you've caught this in movie scripts or in stories you've read, and it's this kind of theme in a, in a script where someone's been blinded by tr- uh, from true love and life. And how many movie scripts have been written about people who are looking for love or looking for life only to realize their pursuit of happiness and money and success and power have only detoured them from that true life and love? I think like 80% of the movies out there is that script. Even, I mean, whether you, even if you're watching Marvel, I mean, even you're, if you're watching like Iron Man, there's a little bit of that. Like, you know, when he meets, uh, what is it? Is it Peppa or Pepper? And, it, and he, he realizes like, I got all, I got everything, but you're more important, you know? And so it doesn't matter if it's a Hallmark movie, a drama, a love story, or Marvel. It seems like there's always a scene that says, I realize it was you I hoped for all along, not the car, not the clothes, not the cash. Now I know I was blinded by that other stuff. Isn't, isn't that true? Isn't there a whole bunch of movies? Exactly. We should just write movie scripts. It'd be easy. But how many of you have seen that movie? Or even, let me get more personal, how many of you have lived that life? How many of you have lived that scene? It's incredible, and we put this line on the screen for us to remember, it's incredible how really good things can blind us from the greatest things. How really good things can blind us from the greatest things. And we've been in a series called Flickering Lampstands, um, really digging into a portion of Scripture, the last uh, book of the Bible, the last book of the New Testament, Revelation. And the book of Revelation starts with uh, seven messages to seven churches from Jesus. And we've been tracking through that, and today we're on the last church in this series, the last uh, letter or message that we've been in. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 3. Uh, it's going to be on the screen as well, but you can follow along in your, in your Bible as well. That'd be awesome. So Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, okay? And here's, here's, what, here's this, this final message um, we get to read today together. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write... The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. Here's the message. I know your works. You are neither cold or hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's a pretty heavy message. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing But you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, listen. I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. 
And to the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. God, we, just, we listen to this final message from Jesus to these seven ancient churches, and we just want to make space right now, room for you to speak to us, for your Spirit to work in us, God. Beyond what, um, what I can even say here in this moment, God, we long um, for your words to come alive in us. Um, and some here today particularly need it in a, maybe in a desperate way, God. And so I just pray um, that they will be able to make space for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been, you know, learning about these churches, Ephesus and uh, Smyrna, last week, church in Philly, I love saying that, and, um, and so the, the ancient Philadelphia, not the, not the modern one for you guys who weren't here, and we are now coming to the last church, Laodicea, and we've noticed that a lot of these Christians in these churches in these cities were struggling or had opposition or persecution or obstacles, but in Laodicea, it seems to be the least dangerous spot to be a Christian. Or maybe the least uh, where the Christians are affected by the Roman Empire or the religious leaders. Jesus makes no mention in this message to these people of obstacles or persecution from Rome or the religious authorities. Instead, it seems like these people, this, these people are benefiting from all the things that the region has to offer. And that's not necessarily wrong, but that's kind of there. It seems like they're right up there with the Kardashians. Uh, just kind of experience life, uh, you know, good stuff, wealth, possessions, material things, getting a show, all that kind of stuff, starting businesses. No disrespect to the Kardashians or to the family, but uh, it's hard to keep up with them, right? Keeping up with the Kardashians. Verse 17, here's the word, right? Jesus says, you say, I'm rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Those two first two are kind of more descriptive. You can say I'm rich. That's not wrong. You can say I've prospered. The last one is a little bit more of a posture. I need nothing. It's how you view your riches or your prosperity. This city is in an interesting spot. Laodicea uh, is interesting because they profit from three major industries. The banking industry, the health industry, and the fashion industry. And in the banking industry, it's, it's, it's a growing industry in that town because it's a junction of trade routes. So a lot of trade goes through Laodicea. And the banking system grew and grew and grew to support the trade, to support the exchanges, to support what was going on from various regions. So if Rome was like Ottawa then Laodicea was like Bay Street in Toronto. If Rome was like Washington, D.C., then Laodicea was like New York City and Wall Street. That's kind of what it was like. And so it was just a bustling banking system. They, they had a health uh, industry that was growing, and it was a training center for doctors. Uh, one of their most important uh, fields was ophthalmology, focusing on the eye. And they developed in that time and in that region a popular eye powder used for a healing ointment where people would put that on their eyes. I, 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 that's kind of personal to me. When I was a kid, I had an accident with my eye, and I remember for months, in fact, you know, for months and months, just putting this ointment on my eye to bring healing to the damage that was there. This town, this, this medical system had developed this powder to bring healing to eyes or to bring some uh, restoration. But it was also a fashion center. They had developed somehow a breed of black sheep, 
And so they developed a special fabric that was very popular, very desired, very wanted. So the dresses from last week's Oscars were probably made in Laodicea at the time if they had award ceremonies. It was, and you know, and, and who knows, but it was a popular shopping hub. So people came because they wanted to buy these fabrics that they couldn't get anywhere else. And they wanted to buy maybe these outfits or designs or ideas. So fashion, health, banking. And it made the city and its people really wealthy. And it made them quite independent. In fact, you know, last week we talked about Philadelphia was hit with an earthquake near a volcano. And um, even this town, Laodicea, was hit in the year 61 AD with an earthquake. And Rome came, like the other times. Hey, it's the Roman Empire. Hey, we can help you. We want to help rebuild some of the places here. And Laodicea said, nope, we don't need your help, Rome. We're good. We don't need your cash. Like that's kind of how wealthy they were. Christians were becoming wealthy too with all this growth and all this movement and less persecution and less obstacles and more integration, there was more wealth. And so the Christians in the church were finding themselves wealthier and wealthier. And this somehow, even though money is not bad or evil, this made the church grow in apathy. It made them kind of grow in like, I'm self-sufficient, I'm self-satisfying. I'm self-dependent. And this was creeping up into the church. So much that Jesus kind of quotes back to them. You've said, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Isn't it interesting? You might notice this in your own life. All the stuff and security we can accumulate can sometimes develop a blind spot to the true satisfaction and security we really need. I want you to read that one off the screen to help you remember that. All the stuff and security we accumulate can develop a blind spot to the true satisfaction we really need. This happens so often in our Western world. This happens so often in our city where the things we get and achieve and buy can often just develop a blind spot in us to some of the more important things that are right in front of us. That standard movie script. Yet Jesus confronts these people. He confronts them because they're detouring away from the true life that they have received in the gospel of God's kingdom. They've detoured away from the true hope that comes as a result of being part of God's kingdom. Jesus confronts them. In fact, the second line he says after he requotes them, he says to them, you don't realize that you're wretched and pitiable and poor and blind. And naked. Wow. Excuse me, Jesus? You don't speak to the Kardashians that way. Do you know who I am? Do you know what we've achieved? Do you know the dress I wore at the Oscars last week? Did you see the picture on Entertainment Weekly? Did you see the tux I was wearing when Will Smith slapped me? Did you? Sorry, I didn't want to say. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. But I have attained all this status. Okay, it's temporary, but I've still attained it. What, Jesus, why are you telling me this? Jesus isn't that impressed. See, he knows them. He sees them. He understands their true state. He knows what's behind the surface to everything they have. And there's a word there that makes us almost feel like Jesus is so bothered by them He's, so, he's disappointed, maybe almost disgusted is the word. It's one of the harshest of letters. Verse 15 and 16. 
Jesus says, I know your works. And in the other letters, he's often said, hey, you've done this. Even in the middle of obstacles, you've weathered the storm. Even in the middle of persecution, you've, you know, you've, you've been faithful. No, here he just says, I know your works. And that's it. It says nothing else. He says, you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. What a metaphor. What an image. Just, uh, this, just like two days ago, uh, my dog had, had a surgery. I don't know why I'm talking about my dog more these days. Maybe I'm growing an affinity to her. But um, she, she had a, a procedure, and so she came. We brought her back home, and she had these antibiotics and different things that she has to take for five days. So my wife had put it into her food, like with a liquid, and then we literally sat down to eat. And so Franca starts to eat, and some of that medicine was still on her finger, and it went in her mouth, and all of a sudden, she just stops. She's like, oh my gosh, what's, what am I, what? and the antibiotic went in her mouth, and it was so terrible, it was so horrible, she just ran to the sink and spit out the antibiotic and like drank water. That's how bad it was. She had to spit it out. And it's kind of a weird image, but that's kind of what Jesus is getting at. There's something not right about the people he's speaking to. There's something that's not congruent. And Here's the context of the hot and cold water. There was a city called Hierapolis, not far from Laodicea, and they had hot springs and some minerals that came into these hot springs. And uh, actually, I think there's a, there's a picture of it here, and it still exists today um, in Turkey. It's absolutely beautiful. And if you go to the next one, there's people kind of just in the baths and, and uh, hanging out, and it's, it's, it's very therapeutic. Way, I'm, I'm sure it's way, no, not that one, just one second. But Well, you can keep that one there. That's Colossae. And so Colossae was another city that wasn't the hot springs, it was the cold springs. And so not far from Laodicea was the hot springs and the cold springs. Now there's this traditional idea when we often read this text that Jesus wants you to be either super, super hot or passionate for him or like don't believe in him at all. Like, you know, either be hot for hot, you know, for Jesus or passionate or cold and not nothing. But nowhere in between, like if Jesus hates room temperature stuff. But what if, what if Jesus just longs for us to live on purpose? What if Jesus longs for us to live hot or cold because hot had purpose and cold had purpose, but lukewarm had no purpose? See, Laodicea had a lot of luxury, but they had a poor water supply. One of the things they were lacking was a water supply. So they built an aqueduct from the hot springs to get the hot water with the minerals down. But, only, but the thing is, is it took so long to get to their city. By the time it got to them, it was lukewarm. And like, if you want to step into a hot tub when it's really hot, and then it's like lukewarm, you're like, well, why did I do this? And the... Now, the cold springs from Colossae were really important because it was refreshment. It was good water. And so they had built an irrigation system to get the cold springs down to them. But by the time it got to them, it was lukewarm. It wasn't cold. Have you ever been like a, on a hot day in your backyard or with a friend's house and, uh, you know, you've done some work and you go to open the hose to drink some water and the hose has been like, like on your lawn for an hour in the sun and you open it. As soon as you go to drink it, you're like, oh my gosh, this, this is horrible because it's hot. You, you're waiting for like cold water, right? So you wait until the cold water comes and then you drink it. See... That, this is the thing. Hot 
Water had purpose. Cold water had purpose. Hot water was therapeutic. Cold water was refreshing. But lukewarm water in this context of this metaphor is not desirable at all. And Jesus says, this is what you've become. You're not hot or cold. Lukewarm water in this context is useless, tasteless. And imagine chemically filled hot water from the minerals that's not hot anymore. It doesn't really do the same thing. It's kind of like my wife spitting out our dog's antibiotics. It's like it's not meant to be in my mouth. Why does Jesus say this? Ironically, Jesus actually says this because he loves them. Because he loves these people. He loves his church. What kind of love is this? It's the kind of love that a good friend has. It's the kind of love that a good God has. Because this is something that's important for you and me. And I had to come to think about this and reflect on this. Only those who love you tell you who you really are. Isn't that true? Only those who love you tell you who you really are. My wife is encouraging and generous and gracious, but because she loves me, she often tells me who I am. <laughs> and it's important. And sometimes she'll say, Dave, you know, I've, I've heard like what you've been consumed with lately, some of the things you're talking about, and that's not you. That's not who you want to be. She tells me who I really am. Jesus loves them. He loves them so much, he tells them who they really are. So verse 19, he says, I reprove and discipline those whom I love. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Jesus loves them so much, he doesn't want them to remain blind in their false satisfaction, in their false hopes, in their false dependency. So he writes to them like he writes to the other churches and he brings counsel to them like we read in this in verse 18 and he rebukes them as well and he, he also includes them because he speaks about coming to be with them and being present with them and eating with them. This is how Jesus loves. So don't be put off by this idea that Jesus looks at them and says, you guys aren't living your purpose and I, this doesn't jive with me. In verse 18, he counsels them. And it's an amazing description. Jesus says in verse 18, he says, Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white robes to clothe you, and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen, and salve, or like an anointment, to anoint your eyes, so that you may See. See what Jesus is doing? See what he's getting at? He's, he's saying, you can get gold from me. Not, not like cash gold. A different kind of gold. Something that brings true riches. You can get white robes. I can clothe you. You can get ointment. See, he's comparing, he's comparing their dependencies in their culture to what he has to offer. He's depending where they say, I have, I have prospered, I am rich, I need nothing. He's, he's looking at the industries around, the banking industry and the fashion industry and the health industry, and he says, look, I have gold refined by fire that makes you truly rich. I have a wardrobe and fashion that, that, that really dresses you up in a way that gives you a true identity. I have a kind of healing ointment that truly 
brings sight. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says, I have real riches. I have real identity for you. And I have true insight and wisdom to give you. There's the industries in your town that they're not bad. It's part of what it means to be human. It's part of what it means to be a society. It's part of what it means to develop and, and obviously exchange and all these things. But Jesus says, you have become so dependent on the riches of your city, on the fashion of your city, on the medical system of your city, that you have completely been blinded to the true life that only I can give you. True riches, true identity, true wisdom, true sight. It's amazing, right? In, G- in his love, because Jesus loves them and he loves us, he reveals their dependencies, he rebukes their idolatries, he calls them to repent, and he offers them a new start. Verse 19, in the second half, right, he says, um, Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. He calls them to turn around. He calls them to recognize where they are and, and what they're depending on. And here's a question that jumped out at me for me, and, and I want to ask you this morning. Do we welcome the discipline of Jesus? Do we welcome the discipline of Jesus? Do we welcome the truth of Jesus? See, Jesus speaks into our lives so we can discern truth about ourselves. Jesus loves us so much, he speaks into our lives so we can discern truth about ourselves. And then he wants to stir us towards repentance. That's why, that's why I use, the, I believe, these harsh, really big metaphors to just jolt these people into stirring them towards repentance, to shake them up in a sense like, don't you realize the direction you're going and don't you realize what you're missing, to stir them towards repentance and change and what's good and, and what's true. Because I don't know about you, but I, I'll be honest. I have said or believed the version of I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Have you ever said that or believed that? I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. I have achieved, I have produced, I have worked hard, I have secured this, I have been successful, and I need nothing or at least nothing from you, God. Jesus actually told a group of people in the Gospels, it's recorded in all the Gospels, he said the healthy don't need a doctor. He wasn't really telling the people that they didn't need anything. He was saying, you believe you don't need anything. You think that you're perfect. You think that you're well. You think that you have everything, so you don't need a doctor. That's your perception. Yet we're all in need of what Jesus offers and calls us to. And no human effort can achieve it. No human effort can, can receive it. So here's the question that I keep thinking about myself and about us. Is, is Christ rebuking me in any way? Is Christ rebuking you in any way? I'm not, I'm not like, I'm, this is not me just saying, you know, I want to I wanna kind of confront us. It's right in the scriptures. Does, does, does Christ want to rebuke the church in any way? Oh man, the church these days is getting hit with a lot around the world. And the Spirit is exposing things in churches. And I was chatting with a friend over Messenger, and I said, well, maybe we all, this is tough to say, but we all need to, be, to welcome the exposing voice of the Spirit. 
because there's ugliness in all of us. And we've all taken detours in one way or another. Are we listening? And that's for the church as a whole, and that's for each of us individually. And he might be stirring us to repent. I don't know what for. I'm, that's up to you to really think about and pray about. Here, here's the beautiful thing, though. He doesn't leave us there, right? He doesn't leave us in this state. And this is, again, the love of Jesus. He, he, if we repent, he's waiting for us. He's actually standing right before us. He's actually standing right before us. Verse 20 is like the most beautiful verse, one of the most beautiful verses in scriptures. Jesus says, listen, listen. I am standing at the door and knocking If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. Isn't that amazing? Now, if we just kind of read that quickly, it might look like like this is a scene like Jesus is coming after us like a bad boyfriend or girlfriend who's messed up and is like, will you please let me in? Will you please take, I'm, I'm so, I really want you to want me in your life. You know, and just someone knocking at the door. I know, you know, no, that's, that's not what's happening. Jesus is coming to what is already his. Jesus is arriving at a door of a house that's already his. He's the Lord of the universe. We're already his. We're created in his image. We're his image bearers. We're his creation. We're the ones unfortunately at times, who've betrayed him and need forgiveness. But Jesus makes the first move. Even though we are the ones, maybe like the Laodiceans, that have detoured away, Jesus doesn't just wait for us. He comes knocking at our door. Isn't that amazing? He gives you and I the opportunity to give him his rightful place in our lives because he knows what we need and he knows what we truly long for and he knows the purpose and intent of us in God's creation this is the great reversal of the gospel Jesus doesn't come knocking on the door like someone who is looking for forgiveness he comes knocking at the door like as someone who is giving forgiveness who's giving opportunity and he preemptively offers a fresh start And as Jesus comes to the door and he says, you know, he's knocking, he's knocking. And I love the phrase, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. It's like Jesus, maybe it seems like he comes in as a guest because he never forces his way into our lives. But it's like in the moment of reverse, he becomes the host. Now he's hosting us. He's the Lord of the universe. He's hosting us. He reveals himself to us. And here's one of the most powerful things that happens. I'm going to invite the team to come up as we prepare to take communion in a moment. But here's one of the most beautiful things that happens. It's as if this recreation takes place. Recreation takes place. New life takes place. I know that when you read the word up there, it might sound like recreation. No, it's recreation. New life and new hope and resurrection Ultimately, we are all like the Laodiceans that need a fresh start, that need to be reminded that full life is in Christ, that Jesus offers recreation. Why do I say recreation? It's not reincarnation, it's recreation because God has already created us as image bearers. 
But as we read the scriptures, we recognize that through the story of the scriptures and even testimony in our own lives and as we look at the world, we have fallen short of that. We have broken off from that. We have often rebelled from that. We have often detoured from that. And the the image that we've been created in, in God's image is cracked. And Jesus comes knocking and he says, I want to bring life to this and recreate, bring the fullness of life. Did you notice how Jesus introduces himself at the beginning of this message? I mean, he, he says that, you know, he's the words, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness. But then he says the origin of God's creation. Jesus introduces himself as the origin of God's creation. The God who created also recreates. The God who created us in his, in his image also restores us into his image bearers. Even though we've been cracked. He can recreate what is broken, what is detoured, what is blinded, what is depending on false hopes. He can recreate that and bring you life. So much so, right, in verse 21, he says, Those who conquer, I give you a place on my throne, just as I conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. That is such a beautiful promise. Even to those who have lost sight of the true life that God gives us, Jesus says, for those who conquer, it's not for those who defeat, it's for those who are faithful, for those who continue, for those who keep following, for those who keep trusting. I will give you a place on my throne just as I conquered, just as Jesus was faithful, just as Jesus was the faithful witness at the cross. Then he sat down with his father, and he's saying, as we're faithful, as we walk through the ups and downs of life but remain faithful to him, we too will have a seat at the table in eternity. See, but Jesus, is, I think what he's, why he stirs us to repentance is it's not that money's bad or a decent fashionable shirt is bad or you know, having good health is bad. That's not, that's not bad at all. But sometimes we have come to believe that that's all there is. And then we put our hope in that and we depend on that. And Jesus comes and stirs us up to say, no, 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 that's not where true life lies. That's not where true life lies. I have gold for you that's refined. I have white robes for you that give you a fresh identity. I have anointment. I have um, healing for you that brings you true sight. You guys can start as we just move into this. And I just want to invite you, just think about this as we wrap this up. And I'll let this sit with you. Jesus reveals who we truly are, and that's an act of love. Jesus rebukes us in our blindness, and that's also an act of love. Jesus calls us to repentance as an act of love. But Jesus offers us, offers to recreate us, to to bring new life to us as an act of love. He's standing at the door knocking, and he's... is just waiting, waiting, waiting to come into us and with us and eat with us and we with him. He's just waiting to bring this new life. We're going to respond with communion today, but just maybe for some of you, you're here today and it's the, it's the first time you've been kind of presented with this story, with this idea, with this invitation that there can be truer life 
than the life that that last purchase gave you or truer life than you know than the apartment you've curated or truer life than the you know the the incredible like to the nines wardrobe you have because you just have great taste and that's awesome and I applaud you for it you know or truer life than the bill of health you might have you you because you realize like when you re, when you depend just on those things often there's something inside us that recognizes there's there's more to this because this could just be gone and so if maybe it's your first time responding to Jesus' invitation he's standing knocking he's saying I want to come and take my rightful place in your life as Lord and King and leader and Savior and I just invite you this morning to respond in a sense metaphorically open the door and say Jesus you lead me I want to start following you. I want to start making a step towards you. I want to immerse myself in your story and your truth. I invite you to do that with us this morning in our time of prayer. And, but maybe for some of us, and me included, right now and just in this moment, as we take communion, it's going to be a very revealing time. Maybe in this moment, you need to make space, I need to make space for Jesus to stir in us maybe something that he wants to get our attention about. He wants to reveal something in us because he loves us. He wants us to pay attention to maybe one or two things in our lives that we have ultimately been depending on instead of him. Let's just pray before we move forward. God, sometimes it's, um, it's counterintuitive to think that love confronts counterintuitive to think that love um, reveals. And yet, God, we know, we know that the best of our relationships are the ones who love us so much they're able to tell us the truth about us. And you are the ultimate friend in that regard. You are the ultimate one who loves us. And God, while we're so grateful for your encouragement, your power, your forgiveness, we also welcome your bold love in our lives to tell us who we are in the moments when we've detoured the most. So we welcome you right now in that. And thank you that you stand at the door knocking still an offer, preemptive offer to come be present with us. Give us your life to the fullest. God, I pray for some here today that maybe for the first time are just sensing that there's more, more to life than they have imagined. More to life than the securities they've built up. Oh God, would you give them a sense of faith and courage to take a step into following you. Maybe initially opening that door because you you want to come lead them and guide them, God. May they see the beauty and purpose and joy in that and take a step forward. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome 
even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.